this morning just for a few minutes because I don't have a whole lot of throat left. I coach. I don't know what it was about me. <clears throat> I'm not sure if it was the spirit of the Lord or the spirit of dumb that came upon me and said, you should coach soccer and baseball this year. But whatever it was, I, I said yes to the call. So yesterday I was coaching soccer and our little soccer team won and did really well. My little Jason scored three goals. He was so happy. And every time he scored, he threw his arm and run back up center. I'm, I'm like, what is this? And then I coached David's baseball team, and we went down 4 nothing, but rallied back and won 7-6. So I'm yelling, encouraging the kids. A lot of these kids have never played sports before, at least not baseball. It was pretty obvious. Um, but they're athletic, so I'm not suggesting that's more important. But I will say this. The Lord spoke to me not very long ago, and uh, I, was, I was playing with my kids. I think we were playing basketball or something. They just, we just loved that time together. And the Lord said to me, this is just every bit as important as anything you've ever said behind that podium. We think that this is ministry, and it is. But if you think going home and, being, and providing for your family and being with your wife and being with your kids, if you think that's not ministry, you don't have a clue about what ministry is. Actually, that is your first obligation. Your first ministry is to the Lord and to your family. And so, uh, so I don't have a whole lot of throat left because of that, so I'm going to do what I can do this morning. Uh, but I want to talk to you for just brief this morning from a, a passage from 1 John. First epistle of John, chapter 4. And this is the title, As He Is, So Are We. <clears throat> Say with me, as he is, so are we in this world. That almost sounds heretical until you find out that it was the disciple whom Jesus loved that wrote it. I even, even when I put it on Facebook this morning, I said, if I put on there, as he is, so are we, we're going to get hammered. You know, you know because there's a lot of people that think that we're just sinners saved by grace. Let me help you a little bit. Pick one. Either be a sinner or be saved by grace, but you're not both. You know, you're, you're saved by grace. You're a part of his family. You wear his name. You wear his nature. That's who you are. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, <coughs> for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That sounds to me like a lot of preachers I've heard. If they're not preaching love, they don't know who they're preaching about. They look like the God they worship, and he's mean and vindictive. And, and our heavenly Father, the Abba of Jesus Christ, is none of the above. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we, love enough, if we love one another, God abides in us and his uh, love is perfected or matured, made mature in us. Because love is active. Let me just pause here and say love is active. Love is not necessarily a feeling. We think love is a feeling. I laugh when I hear 12 and 13-year-old girls and boys say, oh, I'm just in love. And I want to say, you ha you're not even, you're barely alive. <laughs> you, don't know, you don't know what love is. It's not the goose pimples you get when she walks by with that you know, perfume on, you know, or when you watch him, you know, in the weight room, whatever. That's not love. Not suggesting that people that are 12 and 13 can't love. I'm just saying, if you tell me you're in love and you're 12 or 13 and you're in ninth grade and your mom and daddy's still driving you to school, you might want to pump the brakes just a hair. Love is, love is active. Be married for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Be challenged a little bit. Go through something before you come out saying, you know, you know what love is, right? So, it's love that for a mother to birth a child. Because it's painful. It's not joyful. It's, there's no joy in it until the moment that the mother sees the face of the child. Then joy comes. Okay. 
By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his, of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. It's amazing to me, not really amazing to me, it's not amazing that John is the one that writes about love. You can write, listen to Paul, he's going to write about mysteries and about church doctrine and church function. If you want to read things that came from Peter and James, James's responsibility was to take care of the church in Jerusalem. But John doesn't bother that stuff. John talks about love, 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 love. It's not, it's not strange to me because often in the three and a half years that they spent with Jesus, when Jesus would be teaching or preaching or just sitting at meat, John, instead of asking questions, would have his head pressed up against the chest of Jesus. And he could feel the very heartbeat of God. And so he, when he writes these, this book, he's literally he, transcribing the heartbeat of God, saying, tell my children I'm loved. Tell them that I, show them, John, this is your responsibility. This is what I've given to you to give to them. Let them see who I really am. And he says, verse 17, by this, love is perfected or matured with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Because as he is back up by this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That is not most of what we hear in the Western Christianity. We don't hear have confidence in the day of judgment. We hear you better live right, do right, do good, and don't mess up because otherwise God's going to get you. And nothing could be further from the truth. God's not out to get you. God's not ticked off and just ready to get his. You know, get his. Thank you, Barbie. I know more of you than Barbie know that this is true. Don't be scared to say you're right. The less you respond, the longer I preach. It's a, for, it's a warning. <laughs> oh, no. That's horrible. <laughs> Three, you're right. As soon as I said that. It's good, Josh. There is no fear in love, but perfect or mature love casts out fear because fear involves, or it literally means fear has punishment. Fear is in and of itself its own punishment. This is the literal world. Not fear involves or fear has to do with, but fear has punishment, which means it's a package deal. If you have fear, then you're going you're gonna to live in punishment. You're going to live in torture. You're going to live in torment. God is not the one that punishes. Fear is the one that punishes. And if you walk in, if you walk in fear, you're going to punish yourself because you're going to tell yourself, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'll never have enough. But God says to tell John, John, tell my people that perfect love, when they understand who I really am and what I'm really about, that that kind of love will absolutely annihilate fear. And if fear goes away, guess what? So does punishment. You mean John's talking about identity? That's exactly what John's talking about. My little children. Fear has punishment. Are you saying that God doesn't get mad? Yes. I will stand boldly before you and say God's not mad. He's not mad. He's not getting mad. He's not reactive. He's not reactive. He not only sees, but he declares the end from the beginning. 
He not, he, not only does he see and declare it, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And not just, not just the end of, it's not the end of time. He's just the end. We start in him, we're going to end up in him. Fear has to do with punishment. Fear has its own punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. What he says is, if you're afraid of God, then your love is not mature. Your understanding of his love is immature. Not suggesting that you don't want to be better, not suggesting you shouldn't do better, not suggesting any of those things. I'm just simply reading the scripture telling you that John says there is no, as in absolutely zero, fear in love. Look, I know a lot of little girls that think that they're in love and they're simply manipulated. It, have you ever heard of those women? I mean, you've heard of women who, who live with the same man that's abused them verbally, physically, or whatever, for years and years, and they think they love him. No, that's not love. That's abuse, and that's, that's manipulation. And the truth of it is they're afraid of what might happen if they are able to escape, and I hate that situation. And we have preachers that preach that's the way God is. We have preachers that try to manipulate God's bride to say to keep them afraid of him so they'll keep coming back, and the reality is they really just want to make sure that they keep patting, you know, the bucket. Because if you're afraid, I mean, fear is an incredible motivator. Fear is an incredible motivator. But you know what's a, what's a more powerful motivator? Love. Because fear says, I, I don't want to do something unless something happens to me. Love says, I'll do this just because I love you. And when, you're, and when you, your understanding of the Father's love is perfected or matured in you, then you're not working to get something. You're saying, wait a minute. You said, I'm not that. I'm not a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not a human doing, but a human being. Man, I'm just going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in my identity. I'm going to walk in the freedom wherewith I've been made free. I'm going to walk in this. And when I mess up, you know what? Even though I mess up, and you're going to mess up, when I mess up, I'm not afraid because he's not vindictive, and I understand perfectly his love, that his love is perfected. It's totally mature towards me. God is for me. He is a good, good father, and he's not looking to... Amen. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Well, that's heavy. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I want to read verse 17 from the, the, I think this is a good God's Word translation. <laughs> I've got a couple. God's love has reached its goal in us, so we look ahead with confidence on, to the day of judgment. We look ahead. Well, you, don't pre, you don't hear that a whole lot. The, you know, the great, go get Jamie's books, Myths and Mistranslations. Jamie was here last Wednesday. And find out what the whole uh, great white throne judgment thing is, what it really is and what it's not. We don't have time for that stuff this morning. While we are in this world, we are exactly like him with regard to love. No fear exists where his love is. Well, that's pretty plain. Rather, perfect love gets rid of fear because fear involves punishment. The person who lives in fear does not have perfect love. I want to read through some of my notes and I'm going to get you out of here. It's astounding to me how many people live in fear of God, and I don't mean reverence, but actual fear. Fear in the Bible, and in this, in this specific verse right here, 
is derived from the Greek word phobos, where we get our word phobia. It occurs 46 other times besides this one, 47. Then it means alarm or fright, exceedingly in terror or to be afraid. <clears throat> now the scripture seems almost in direct conflict with each other because the scriptures also do say fear, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It says that there are people who would almost gladly, um, and that there are people who would almost gladly throw out the first John altogether because their whole preaching emphasizes the fear of God. But because Pro, Proverbs does say the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But the word used for fear back there in the Hebrew is not phobos; it's yara, and it means more, morally reverent. You're going to hear him say it's not a different, but it, it, it transliterated, yes, it is different. It's not the same. Perfect love casts out phobia. When you know who you are and you know that you're fully accepted and fully loved, you're not afraid anymore. That's a, that's, that's a lot of liberty. A lot of people are not ready for that kind of liberty. At least they don't think they are. Like, God, don't make me that free. That's too free. I don't want to be that free. I mean, get me halfway free and get me halfway bound, but don't make me all the way free where I can just live and breathe and be and, and, and enjoy creation and enjoy the Creator. And yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. That's too free for a lot of people. And the reason that it's too free is because their love's not perfected, so they're terrified that God's going to do something to them because they know they've messed up from time to time. Here we go. Most of our understanding of God is formed in us by the, our image of our fathers. This was his intention. This is fact, and for many, unfortunately, their father was either not present, morally bankrupt, or emotionally absent. None of us, none of those words describe our father, the Abba of Jesus. Emotionally absent, morally bankrupt, not present. He's none of those things. But those words have been perpetuated to strike fear of God in the hearts of millions. Fear controls and manipulates the mind. In fact, fear is the most powerful way to manipulate anyone except love. And preachers have been doing it for years. Some think they're helping out, uh, and some of them are just mean. You ever met the mean preachers? Long, bony finger, just mean. Like, they, they, they live to make you afraid. Here you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign you. Here's your license. I'm going to print some up this afternoon. If you ever go to a place like that, I'm going to give you a license to get up and leave. Pray for him and say, God help that guy, but I'm not standing here listening to this. I'm not going to subject myself to somebody trying to make me afraid. I'm not subjecting myself to that trash anymore. I know that he's good. I refuse to let an, any other voice besides his voice into my mind. And if they're telling me how bad and how mad and all this other stuff and God's the one sending hurricanes, it amazes me that they preach God sends hurricanes, but he only ever does it in September. Jamie said last Wednesday, because I've, I've said that before, Jamie said last Wednesday, he said, if they ever send a hurricane to Montana, then I believe it was God. It's always the Gulf Coast, or it's always coming up through, you know, it's, it's always in September, and it's always the time when you would expect there to be hurricanes. God doesn't send those things. God's not so ticked off. He's like, you know what I'm going to do? There's about two million of them I just love. I just, I'm bloodthirsty, and I just love to destroy them. And some of these clowns preach, did I say clowns out loud? I'm sorry. Some of these people preach that. You shouldn't talk like that. Did you know what Elijah did one day? Elijah was challenging the prophets of Baal. How many of them were there? 300 of them. And he said, uh, he said, tell you what. He said, let's create an altar, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. This is, this is a very abridged version. They said, okay, we'll do that. And so they go through all their hoopla and stuff, and do what they're doing the whole night. Nothing's happened. He looks at him and says, what's the matter with him? Oh, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he's on the toilet. 
Maybe he's constipated. He literally tells them. He's, it's, I think it's hilarious. I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem taking shots at people that are taking shots at the Father. Not, the, not, well, not necessarily the people, but at the stupidity that they like to purport. It's just something they heard somebody else say. Most of them haven't studied anything, and if they have, they've studied with the hope to prove something they already believed and said with an open heart and mind saying, Father, speak to me. What are you trying to say? So I want to study something to prove my point. And they'll read a definition, and there'll be 15 definitions. There'll be one little word that they think they can twist to prove their point, and that's the one they say is the definition. It's ridiculous. What most of them perpetuate is the idea that God's a terrorist ready to obliterate mankind because he's mad and cannot wait to get his revenge on man. Most spiritual thing I ever heard my dad say is this. <laughs> my dad was a nut, man. He was crazy. He said, I'm going to tell you something real spiritual. You know what I think about that? <laughs> Kids loved him for it. I was like, God, Daddy, please don't do that. Like Jacob just did when he looked at me like, yeah, he just do that. Don't sing over this mic. This is my microphone. Just so y'all know, we have assigned mics. So you don't have to worry about me getting stuff on my mic. This is mine. The truth is most of those men are smug, unhappy men with an insatiable desire to perpetuate on others what was done to them, and they have zero understanding of covenant. Some of them have never received a picture of a whole daddy, a father, and it shows. They have a love deficiency because they were never fully loved and never fully felt accepted, and the deficiency is perpetuated on everybody they have authority over. It's sad. And they think, I don't think that they have, some of them do. Some of them are just mean. They have bad intentions. I don't think some of them do. I think some of them think they're helping. Man, if I can scare them, if I can scare them into salvation, if I can scare them into repentance, if I can scare them into, uh, last time I checked, it was the goodness of God that draws men to the repentance. When you see him as he is, then you become like him. It's not just his appearing that makes us like him. It's our becoming like him that causes him to appear. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who identified himself as the one who Jesus loves, said, perfect love casts out fear. This is also scripture and it's not imbalanced. The love of God and grace is immeasurable and fully balanced. Verse 15 of 1 John says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The word confess there is not talking about asking Jesus into your heart as some preach. I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing, that's a good thing. Practice on a daily basis if you want to. The word confess here is, is a homologio, and it just means covenant. Acknowledge the covenant. What covenant? The covenant that Father has with his Son. Our boldness comes not from fear, but from our mature understanding of covenant. Literally, the unbreakable, everlasting covenant between Father and Son is what gives us boldness. You can no more lose the love of God than Jesus Christ can lose the love of his Father. I want to get somewhere here. I'm just 10 minutes and I'm going to be out of here. You can, no, you can no more lose your righteousness than Jesus Christ can lose his righteousness. Well, you, a couple of you are with me. Let's just, let's just belabor the point a little bit. You can no more lose your righteousness, which is your right standing with the Father, than Jesus can lose his. If you can say of Jesus, he'll never lose his standing with the Father, it is okay to say of his brothers and sisters, and neither will I, neither will she, neither will he. This should not be revelation. This is foundational. And the problem with it is I have to spend a whole lot of time tearing up old foundations because I'm not going to scab on some good wood on some old rotten wood. 
I like to go on and build new stuff. I like to start from scratch and build new, 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 new. What I don't like having to do is tear down a bunch of old, dilapidated sheetrock and boards and nails and stuff. But you must do that. If you don't tear something old down, what you put up new is going to rot. And ultimately, it's, it's, it's just going to cause confusion. The house won't stand. So I have to take the first little bit and say, if they're preaching fear, God help them, God bless them, but shut them up. But if you're preaching love, God give them a platform and help people to hear what they have to say. We've had enough of the one side. I understood at any time my dad, who was six foot three, 260 or up to 300 plus pounds, could squash me. I never was afraid that he would, even when I messed up and I messed up royally. For God so loved that he gave. In the same way Abraham offered Isaac his only son, Jesus was offered. The promise to Abraham and to the greater than Abraham was that, was that his offspring would be as the stars of heavens and the sand on the seashore. This is our boldness. It removes the possibility of terror or fear. We're included in his family. And when we arrive at a mature understanding of that covenant, then as he is, so are we in this world. As alive as Jesus is, we are just as alive in this world. As free as Jesus is, we are just as free in this world. Not just in the world to come, but in this world, in the cosmos right now. As righteous as Jesus is, so are we. As holy as Jesus is, so are we in this world. As accepted as Jesus is, so are we in this world. I mean, can I go on? As beloved as Jesus is, so are we in this world. As he is, or better said, just as he is, so are we in this world. That's, 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 that's moving right there. That's powerful. Jesus never worries about being rejected by Father. He even went so far as to say, I and my Father are one. Well, I don't have that experience with a natural day. Well, I'm sorry. I know these days there's probably a better chance that you didn't than that you did have a wonderful, loving relationship with your Father. Why don't you pray the Lord would help you. It's not a bad thing. It happens psychologically. We project on Father the image that we have of our own dads. So if you're abused by your dad, especially as a child, then you might, you might think that you deserved it. And so when somebody preaches and says God's after you, you might actually think, well, I probably deserve that. And you'll see a, a picture of him that is not a true picture of him. The only true picture of Jesus, of, of, God, of Father that's ever been seen is Jesus. And you didn't see Jesus beating people up and destroying them and couldn't wait to kill them and burn them and all the other stuff. Only people, as a matter of fact, Jesus didn't even have a problem with sinners. Go read it. Literally, he had no problem with sinners. The only people he had a problem with was religious hypocrites that tried to make those people afraid. He called those people vipers. You thought I was mean. He called them vipers. I just said mean old bony-fingered men. Jesus called them snakes and vipers and scorpions. Blind leaders of the blind. As he is, that phrase did not occur during the crucifixion of Jesus, and John was not referencing the suffering servant, Jesus of Nazareth. When John said, as he is, he was fully aware and witness to the power of the resurrected Christ. A mouthful. The Lord who not only was raised victorious over death, but who ascended, according to Paul, high above all things, was made heir of all things, and is crowned in glory and honor. And John says about that Jesus, about the one that's been crowned with glory and honor, about the one that's risen above death, or the one that took the keys of death and hell, he says, just as he is, so are we in this world. Hmm. 
We were called to reign in life. It's our high calling to perfectly represent him in the here and now. What he is there, we are exactly that here. As he is, exactly as he is, so are we in this world. See, I told you I wouldn't be long. <clears throat> I hadn't coughed in a while either. I got 19 medicines up here. I didn't think I should be coughing. As he is, so are we. I'm going to sit down. You guys get to sit down. I got to stand up and walk around the whole time. I know you guys don't need to be entertained, so. William, come play me something real pretty over here. He's like, man, that's all I do is play it pretty. Because as he is, so are we in this. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Hey, guys. You know what? I love you. You know what it is? You know what it is? It's like the sheep. I know you guys are good. I'm always preaching to goats. <laughs> They're on my left hand. All right. Anyways, bad joke. Boo. Boo. Thank you, Rich. Had a flashing arrow to point to look to this side. Hey, guys. <laughs> Because as he is, so are we in this world. That happens as our love for him and our understanding of his love for us is fully matured and, and, and understood. I don't, know that you can, I don't know that you can grasp, I don't think that's possible to put into words just how much he loves us. I don't think that's possible. I think that's why we have to use metaphor. I think that's why John Mark McMillan writes, uh, if his love is a hurricane, I'm a tree. You can't, you can't put it into words. You can, just, you can do your best to try to describe it, but his love is so full, so complete, and so completely unearned, it's just freely given. I grew up, I mean, just so that you know, I, we've had, my father was a pastor years and years and years ago, and he matured through the ages. I remember sitting in our church, in our pew, because I wasn't allowed to sleep. I got, I wanted to sleep. Only Jeremy and Becca got to do that. Little brats, they always got their way. No, I'm just kidding. The little kids got to. We had to sit up. I'm like, man, I don't want to hear this anymore. I've been in church four and a half hours. I, I really didn't. And yet plenty of times my dad would make me come up and sit on the, on the altar. I did not like that either. And I sat down there, this preacher, I won't call it his last name, but his first name is Gene. He got out there and preached, and he said, God showed me hell. And he said, he showed me a man in hell, and his eyeballs, the, the fire of hell was so hot. His eyeballs were, the juices in his eyes were boiling. And man, it scared me to death. Had nightmares and wouldn't go to sleep, couldn't go to sleep well. I was always afraid witches, witches were going to come and swoop me away or a man was going to break through the window. And catch, I mean, I lived, in, I lived in my father's home. You know, he was a good daddy. You know, he, early, in his, early in their ministry, they were gone a lot because they were doing ministry stuff. And some crazy stuff happened when they were gone. But I never felt like I wasn't loved, but I totally felt terrified. And I'm like, man, this guy got up here and told me this dude's eyeballs are bubbling in his sockets. Man, I better get something right. I've been saved 5,497 times. <laughs> I mean, heck, I ain't going to lie to you. Sometimes I would get saved just to be safe. I'm like... I think we're good, but I'm running up there again. I'm asking you to my heart. You know, if you, I'm going to ask you to come in again. You know. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, once you let him in, he, he takes over place. You don't, have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to open the door for anymore. He, the door's open. He's there. 
He ain't gonna knock anymore because it's his house. I do not, how many people you drive in your, drive in your house and your garage or your carport and walk up and knock before you unlock your own door and walk in? That's ludicrous. I was saved 5,419 times, like I said, because I was terrified. Terrified. Man, they were good at it, too. Seth and I and Mike and Holly and Daniel had a group. <laughs> that last two songs we sang were songs that we traveled and sang around the, the country years and years ago. I wrote them as just a teenager. And uh, I remember going to one place, and they'd, uh, they'd have a car upside down that they pulled out of a fire rescue, and they'd put it out in front of their church as an advertisement to come and hear revival. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. We played it. I mean, I knew the people. People, I knew the people. I'm still friends with them. Love them to pieces. One of them lives down in South Carolina. Played in a band. We, we, we helped them out a lot. They opened up for us a lot. And the idea was to get people so afraid that you could wreck your car today and die and go to a burning hell that you'd do anything to get into their church service. And they didn't talk about the love of God. They talked about 90% of it was about how mad and how bad hell was and how mad God was and how, and the last little bit would be, but if, if, you, if you'll just ask Jesus in your heart, you can, you can avoid all that stuff. Basically, everybody's found guilty. And the only way to not be guilty is to come down here at these altars and repeat a, repeat a magical prayer after me. Say these words. And they would say, say this. They would say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I confess with my mouth. I confess with my mouth. My, and I, I'm going to tell you what, I never felt it one time, but by God, I was going to say the words just to be safe. You ever done those prayers? I know you haven't. You know better. Repeat the magical prayer. Not suggesting praying's bad. Not, I'm not against salvation. I'm trying to tell you that most of what is preached in the Western church don't have a thing to do with the reality and the good news. The gospel, by the way, is good news. If they're preaching anything and it's not good news, it cannot be called the gospel because the definition of gospel is the good news. And here's the good news. For God so loved the world, not the church members, not people that had it all right, not people that lived great. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe, and the reason they don't believe in him is because he's never been painted right. I told a friend of mine one day, she called because her daughter was a meth addict and been strung out for years and years. And we'd work with them and they'd been to counseling. And I mean, just, and, uh, and I said to the lady, I said, well, she's just running from God. And I mean, immediately the Lord said, stop telling people that. People don't run from me. How many of you ever heard? I'm not taking, how many people ever heard they're running from God? I mean, I've said it. I've said, I'm not, I'm not trying to, yeah, the Lord said, people don't run from me. He said, they run from the false picture that people have painted of me. But if they ever see me clearly, they will always run to me. He is the fulfillment of every heart's desire. I'm going to say it. He is the fulfillment of every heart's desire. And the reason people don't run to him is because they've never seen him. I want to show you something if I can. It's on the amp. I found this picture last week. I don't even remember where I was. Somebody, I got a lot of crazy friend, friend requests on Facebook, and I saw this and it moved me. You won't be able to see it maybe very, a whole lot, but look at this picture. Let's see if I can get it to pull up. Can you see this? I'll just walk. The minute I saw it, I'm like, that's gonna be my screensaver. It's a picture of Jesus holding a baby by her legs upside down over his back. You see it? To some people, this picture right here is sacrilegious and offensive. To me, this is what a father does. Sorry, if you can't see it, I'll give you my phone afterwards. 
Is that not a great, the moment I saw it, I screenshotted it, and it became my screensaver. Um, this is what he's like. This is who he is. And my job as a minister of the new covenant, as an ambassador of the new covenant, is to say who he is and not what he's not. Not great. He's just holding a little girl over his head. You can almost see the smile on his face, although you only see the back of his. That's what he's like. This is not what he's like. That's not what he's like. And until we can fully accept, I should not be having to push this hard in this church to prove this point. And the reason that I have to push so hard to prove this point is because it's been so ingrained in us and so indoctrinated in us that, well, there might be a chance that he's after me. He might be wanting to come get I mean, there were people that were to hear what I said this morning would call me a heretic. And I'm gladly called that. I have no problem with that because I know him. I, I did not, don't just know about him. I know him. I know that he loved me when I'm great and I know that he loves me when I'm not good. I know that he loves me when I'm hitting on a hundred and I know he loves me when I'm missing. His love is not earned. It's a, his grace is unmerited grace in fact means unmerited favor unearned favor I didn't earn it and the, the, they always will say well now you're just telling people they can live like that no grace is not so you can go and do whatever grace is to empower you to be what God had always called you to be and we know that if we happen to mess up we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and we know that that's good for us because just as he is so are we in this world so if he's Jesus Christ the righteous I can call myself Josh Button the righteous he's good he's always good we have to sell the first thing that Mark Sanchez ever said in our church he spoke and he was there the night with, with Randall Worley I think it was 2014 four or five years ago he got up he said there are several things that are going to have to be settled in our churches before we move on and one of the things that he said was we're going to have to understand that God is always good I'll never forget it I have it in my notes to this day that we're sons and daughters that was another one but that God is always good he's always good well if you knew what I did last night I don't want to know what you did last night don't tell me I don't need to hear it God knows what you did. He chose you anyway. He loved you anyways. His love is unconditional. If you didn't have a father that loved you unconditionally, I apologize, but you have a heavenly father that does love you unconditionally. And whether you see it in this age or in the age to come, you will come to the realization one day, were you telling me he's loved me the whole time? He's been crazy about me the whole time, that he pursued me my whole life, that it wasn't my pursuit of him, but his pursuit of me? That's exactly what I'm telling you. I hope... To, to use whatever small talents or ability or giftings I have to get you to see it in this world because you're going to live free in this earth. Part of bringing heaven to earth is not just, is just not blinded eyes open all that stuff. That's all wonderful. What I'd like for it to do is to give you a new mind. Paul said this. Paul said this. Let this mind be. I may not say that. Be not conformed into the image of this world, but rather be transformed. That word transformed, metamorphosed, completely changed from one thing to another. You've never seen a butterfly crawl back, crawl back in the cocoon of a caterpillar. Let be not conformed to the pattern of the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing, the making new again of your mind. 
you're 100% accepted. You're loved just like you are. If you don't ever preach, if you don't ever wear nice clothes, if you don't ever do whatever, God doesn't care about any of that stuff. The qualifiers that the religious system has put on people, I'm just telling you, God has nothing to do with it. He doesn't care about it, and you can wipe it all away. Here's the qualification. Are you loved by God? Answer back. Then you're qualified. The old saying, God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the call. Oh, man, it's 12 minutes after 12. Yes. That means the Logan's rolls are still hot. I will dance a jig on that. If there is someone in here that's never heard that you're completely and utterly loved or you've never believed it or you've never felt it and you want to pray, I'm happy to pray with you. I can pray here. I can pray there. I can pray outside. If I tell you I'm going to pray with you or if I tell you I'm going to pray for you, even if it's on Facebook, I promise you I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll pray. Sometimes I'll even be driving. I don't stop driving, but I don't close my eyes, thank God. Or he'd be praying for me. <laughs> if that's you, I want to pray with you right now. If that's you, stand on your feet. If it's not you, everybody knows you're fully and completely accepted and beloved, then I expect there to be a, a momentous shift in the culture of this community. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Thank you, Father, for this moment. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this word. Thank you for those, Father, that have heard this word. Thank you for those that will preach this gospel, your gospel. I thank you that you've included us in your inheritance. I thank you that as you are, so are we in this world. I thank you that we're just as righteous, just as holy, just as pure, just as loved, just as accepted because you chose to do that. Father, let this, let this ring in the minds of everyone in here, Father, for the days and weeks to come until their mind is transformed by the truth that they're always loved, that you're a good Father. Lord, bless us in our, in our efforts, Father, to, to pay for this building. Bless in our, in our efforts, Lord, to take care of this place to be good stewards of what you've given us. I pray, Lord, a bountiful blessing on every family in this church, Lord. Lord, there'd be a blessing of health, a blessing of, of healing, a blessing of finance. Lord, I just pray it, Father. I'm just asking you for it. You said in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. And I'm asking for a bountiful blessing, Father, relationally in every family that's associated with this church in Jesus' name. Amen.